0: So I, uh, I first experienced something of a calling when I was about 15 years old. I, um, I grew up at a, a Methodist church in Bedford called Martin United Methodist Church. It was a great church to grow up in. Uh, it was a church that raised me in my faith, The church that taught me the, the uh, easy way to get kids to church to the power of donuts, um, a church that... Received me as a junior high student with a head full of curly hair. I miss that hair. And uh, the braces, don't miss those. And the bright yellow converse. A kid that didn't want attention, of course, um, but who received the best kind of it at church. I, I know that not everybody, a part of this community, um, has a great experience with church, but mine growing up really was tremendous. Um, I had adults in my life that I, I knew loved me uh, and saw me for who I was, the adults that I uh, could call at 2 a.m. if I needed to that weren't my parents, I never had to make those calls. I was a pretty nerdy kid um, in, in bed by 9. Um, I, uh, that was a big laugh from one person. <laughs> um. I went to a youth conference with my, with my youth group. I loved my youth group. I loved Bible study. I loved mission trips. Went to this youth conference, and, um, you know, it was one of those youth conferences. You had, uh, you know, everybody, you know, it was all cool as the early aughts. Every youth pastor had a soul patch back then. They were all being so cool. Um, but it was in this worship service that, that I felt something sort of internal and external, weirdly at the same time, just kind of come over me. The guy that started this whole Methodist thing named John Wesley, he would describe it as having your heart strangely warmed. That's what I felt. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was feeling called to, but I, I felt called to something. I didn't do a lot with that at first. Like like most of us, you, you have that kind of strangely warm heart moment and, and you move on. It wouldn't be for years later that I would interpret that call into what I devote my life to now, but I wasn't just called at that, at that youth ministry conference, I, I was also developing a sense of call in my larger community. See, I, I didn't just grow up going to Martin UMC where you know people didn't always think alike, but most of the people looked and lived a lot like me and my family. But I grew up in this radically diverse part of the Metroplex here in DFW in the Bedford-Ulis area. The high school I went to, there were almost 50 languages spoken on campus, right? Now it's up over 60, and um, that'll shape you as much as your faith community will. I knew that I, I, as I was feeling called by God into something, I was also feeling called by my larger community to, um, to have a faith that could make space for my friends who were raised Muslim and raised Jewish and raised with no faith at all or raised from uh, more of a tribal cultural religion that... Um, we don't even know the, the, the name of in, in the, when we talk about the big Abrahamic three, perhaps. Um, I, I needed a faith that was, that was big enough to include people like that. Calling is kind of a funny thing, where it comes from and, and who it comes from. Um, it, it can be hard to interpret. It can be hard, perhaps, to pursue. And so I want to talk about calling today um, as we continue in this series on stories and, and how I believe all of us. All of us are called to something um, or some things. And so frequently we talk about calling, and we'll address this in a moment, so frequently we can talk about it as though it's this very churchy thing, and it it really doesn't need to be. I think it's deeply spiritual, but but maybe we could understand it a little bit differently. Our our scripture this morning is going to come to us from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 10, verse 1. Gospel of John. Chapter 10, verse 1, if you have your Bibles uh, physically or on your phone and you want to follow along, feel free to. Otherwise, feel free to simply listen. So Jesus is addressing a gathering of Pharisees and disciples and other onlookers. Um, He's just healed a a man who was born without the ability to see in the chapter before. And now he's offering this teaching as a result. He says, I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall as a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. Let's pause there for now. You know, this is one of those scriptures that um, if you've gone to church for a length of time, you've probably heard someone preach on Jesus, the the good shepherd, or Jesus, the gate, and this gate portion where Jesus is this gate or this gatekeeper, that can evoke some really interesting imagery, right? Gatekeeping is not a positive word today. Gatekeeping is like when someone says, oh, I love X band, and someone else is like, oh, do you then name every song they've ever written, or you're not a real fan, right? Do you know anybody like this? Are you someone like this? You can repent and reform your ways. Gatekeeping is when you feel like it's your job to protect this thing, whatever that thing is. Um, and it sounds almost like like Jesus is saying God's kind of a gatekeeper, and, and that can evoke kind of a negative imagery of, of God being exclusive. Some people in, some sheep get in the pen, some sheep don't. Who's the thieves? Who's the robbers? Who's in? Who's out? I'm not going to resolve that for you right now. I want you to hold that tension. If you heard that and, that's, and something in you is wrestling with that, good. Hold on to that for a moment. Right now, I want to focus on Jesus saying that the sheep understand the shepherd's voice. They don't follow the stranger. They follow the shepherd. And I want to say, Jesus, you make that sound so simple, right? You make it sound so simple. Have you ever wondered how you're supposed to understand God's voice amongst the cacophony, right? I I get this question a lot. And the the hard truth is I don't know that I have an easy answer. Because unfortunately, we don't get the, the clouds breaking apart moment telling us what we're supposed to do with our lives, or what we're even supposed to do with tomorrow. Um, You know, I felt my heart strangely warmed at 15, but it wouldn't be until I was almost 25 that I would interpret that call into a call to ordain ministry. Sometimes it can take a long time to discern that. I think we also tend to get hung up on this, this calling imagery, because we think of calling as some sort of lofty thing. Here's a Here's a funny, terrible story for you. Um, The worst funeral I ever went to is for my great-grandmother. Don't be alarmed, it's just my battery pack. Is it still on? We're good, we're golden. Um, The worst funeral I ever went to was for my great-grandmother. Her name was Grandmother. And um, uh, it was in rural Oklahoma, this little windswept town. Oh, man, the clip fell off of it. This is really good. Here we go, we're gonna just... I'm a professional. (laughs) It's in this windswept town, uh, and uh, she grew up there, but she hadn't been there in in, in a very long time, and it was at this little Baptist church, because I don't think they make them any other way in windswept Oklahoma towns, and um, it was very cold. It was very windy. We were inside this Baptist church, and this, this Baptist preacher stands up, and he says... You need to know that my my great-grandmother was a teacher, he says. I believe the greatest calling one can receive in life is to be a preacher. (laughs) But the second greatest calling (laughs) is to be a teacher. And he thought this was a compliment, right? Like, I remember sitting there in that moment thinking, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I don't want to turn out like him. Can you imagine dunking on my great-grandmother at her funeral? (laughs) She's not even able to defend herself, right? What a clown. What a clown. Sometimes we talk about callings, and we think that there are like higher callings or lower callings, and like, that's just nonsense. I think people can be called to a whole host of different things. I don't think being called to a pastor is any better than being called to whatever you may be called to. There's callings in my life beyond what I do for my profession. That I take with equal or even greater importance my calling to be a good father, for instance. Trumps my calling to be a pastor. I hope not all the time, but I hope it does frequently. Uh, my calling to be a good neighbor. My calling, my calling, my calling. There's all these different types of callings, and sometimes in church especially, we get into this weird hierarchy, and I think it's important to level that playing field. Jesus doesn't seem to be too concerned about who's called to what. I notice he's speaking to the Pharisees, who are very much into hierarchy, and he's just referring to everybody as sheep, which, I mean, again, an interesting evocation for us today to to hear ourselves described as sheep, Uh, but I think what he's trying to make clear is that there's a sort of level playing field amongst the people. When we talk about pursuing a calling or trying to discern a calling, I also notice that the sheep are not alone. This isn't the one lost sheep. This is the sheep that are in a flock. And not that I think we're supposed to always go with the flock or do whatever our friends and our community tells us, but I do think that discerning God's call upon our life could require two things. Number one is I think, it needs to, I think we need to be surrounded by people that, that see us and love us for, for who we are and who we are made to be, right? That's one reason why I believe in church, because I think that's something we can find in a Christian community, is people that see us and love us for who we are and and who we were made to be. Because calling is really about living into the, the creation that God made you to be, the beautiful creation. But secondly, and oh, this is so important, we need people who love us enough to be honest with us. People who love us enough to be honest with us, and not rude, not mean, not biting, but honest, sharing the truth in love. I mean, it's cliched now to, to make reference to you know, early American Idol seasons where they would put these people uh, in the audition room and you know they're just there to, to be embarrassed and for us to laugh at them and mock them as an American culture, and there's a whole lot to unpack there as to why we love that so much. But there'd be people that would come in and they would sing, and I mean, objectively, not well, and they would say, why are you here? And they'd say, well, my mom says I sing beautifully. It's like, okay, that's great. Your mom's lying to you, you know? it's okay. That's why I think it's important to have people that not just love us, but are also able to share the truth in love with us. So that when we say, I'm really feeling called to X, they can say, huh, that's interesting, right? Or they could maybe be kinder and say, wow, share more about that with me. That, I would not have expected to hear that from you. Can we talk about that? That's really interesting. At, rather than just saying, go on, go do it. You know, Because sometimes we can run out ahead of a calling that's not really there for us. When I'm in uh, meetings evaluating, I'm on this team that evaluates people pursuing ordained ministry perhaps. And we'll ask them, tell us about your call. And they'll tell us about how they had their heart strangely warmed. And they felt God tell them to go and be a pastor. And they're like, has anybody else told you you should be a pastor? And they say, no. Okay, and they're like, actually, a lot of people tell me I shouldn't do this. Oh, you know, (laughs) that hasn't actually happened. I promise. But we do. We, we, we want to know. We want to know who in your life is affirming this calling in your life. Who, Who is saying yes to this with you? Because I do think that that calling comes from God, but it's also affirmed by others. It should be apparent that we're living into who God has made us to be. This is something that should be visible to those who see us and love us. So Jesus keeps talking, and he says, therefore. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Oh, that's the one that we love to read, right? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life. Indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest or to have life abundant. Let's talk about this passage for a second. Let's talk about Jesus as the gate. This is a passage that's very popular in Christian traditions that do hold a more exclusive view of the love of God, right? Jesus is the gate, and the only way to God's love is through the gate. But see, we read things into scripture that's not really there. Because what we'll interpret that to mean is, and so unless you come down the islet, first Methodist fill in the blank, and you profess faith in Jesus Christ according to our historical questions, and you sign up and fill out a membership form, and don't forget that tithe card, fill out that pledge card please, that's how you get into the sheep pen. And I'm sitting here going, where is all that when Jesus is saying, I am the gate? Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's funny, he didn't mention anything about anybody's membership roster or walking down front or saying magic words or anything like that. It sure is amazing the words that we think we see in here sometimes, right? The question, I think, becomes, what is salvation? What is salvation? Because I, I do believe that Jesus is the source of salvation. Otherwise, I'd find something different to do with my Sunday mornings, But I also believe that it's the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that that opens up a new reality and a way of being, not just to me and not just to people who go to my church and not just to people who share my faith tradition, but to the entire world, perhaps. There's something about this gate that swings so wide open that it's available to my friends who grew up Muslim and will likely die Muslim because that's how they were raised and that's how they live, right? Right. It's the same gate that people can walk through who are raised with no faith or people who are raised in a Christian faith that were beaten up Sunday after Sunday by the faith of their origin that they never want to walk back into church again. And why should they? And I need a gate that is big enough for them. Otherwise, what am I doing with my Sunday morning? I want my money back. Is anybody else with me? Amen. So then the question becomes, what is Salvation. Jesus goes on to say later in this passage, I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice as well. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd shall be one flock. Future tense, one day, one flock. But right now, there's all these different pens. There's all these different sheep. And you're thinking, Scott, oh, that means the Presbyterians are okay. Yes, and, right? Yes, and. See, I don't think salvation is about punching a ticket to heaven so much as it is about helping us to bring heaven to earth. You can't read this text separate from the chapter before it. In John chapter 9, this whole reason he's teaching this is because he heals a man who was born without the ability to see. And not only does he cure his, his ability to allow his eyes to see again, or to see for the first time, rather, what it does is it restores him into a sense of community, a sense of security, a sense of belonging that he did not have before, right? Right? The eyes coming to life, that's that's incredible, That's, that's wonderful, but it's the everything else that this man gets to experience that he doesn't have to wait until heaven to know. Now, maybe heaven on earth for you doesn't look supernatural or miraculous in that sense, but maybe it could be a miracle if you were able to feel like you're a part of a community that sees you and loves you for who you are. Maybe it'd be a miracle If I could allow whatever shame or guilt or whatever baggage I'm holding to be left behind in my past so I could step into something better in my future, maybe it'd be a miracle. If I could live life, as Jesus says, to the fullest. He says, I've come so that might be saved so that they could live life. Live life to the fullest. Why do we talk about salvation like it's some far-off promise of heaven when Jesus is saying salvation is the way that life can be different right now? Right now. And so I don't think that this is simply a story about how people make it into the sheep pen of heaven. I think it's about participating in heaven on earth. Now, what's interesting about sheep, and I don't know this because I don't know anything about sheep, but I know people who know sheep. And what they tell me is that sheep are much better at following other sheep than they are at following shepherds. Um, in fact, they really have a hard time listening to a shepherd's voice. They are of a really good time of following the sheep's tukus right in front of them, right? Um, and so Jesus keeps talking. He says, "I am the good shepherd." The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand, see, there are some shepherds, they own the sheep and some that they're just hired on. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away, and that's because he isn't the shepherd. the sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks and the sheep uh, attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. But he says, "I am the good shepherd." I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for my sheep, he says. Just like I can't read this story without thinking about the man born blind in chapter 9, I also can't read this story without thinking about Peter coming at the end of this gospel. So, a couple weeks ago, uh, Kate Boyd, uh, who just released a new book, it's on Amazon and Untidy Faith, by now. Um <laughs> You're welcome, Kate. Uh, she's like, God, it's stop it. Um <laughs> She talked about Peter, and she talked about Peter specifically when Jesus um, uh, approaches Peter after the resurrection and asks Peter to feed his sheep. It's interesting. Peter's that guy, if you don't know, that is like Jesus' number one disciple. He's supposed to be his ride-or-die friend, and then when Jesus gets arrested, Peter scatters like the hired hand, right? Peter runs away because the wolves have come. And not only that, he denies knowing Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then when Jesus comes back and, and he sees Peter... Peter, of course, apologizes profusely. He's he's riddled with this shame, with this guilt that's holding him back. He doesn't know how Jesus will receive him. And Jesus asks him very simply, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course I I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then Peter asks, and then Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. What do you want to hear? He says, then feed my sheep three times for three times. jesus is calling peter into this new life this salvation that he's finding through the grace of christ but not just the grace that that allows him to feel good but the the grace that allows him to then do good peter's going to be the one that is called to to feed the sheep to to steward the early christian movement and he's not always going to get it right but he is going to do his best and i think jesus is calling him back to remember this good shepherd teaching moment of saying hey Remember how you, you ditched and ran when it got hard for me? I need you to be there with the sheep in their, in their stink, in their matted wool. I need you to be there at feeding time. I need you to be there after feeding time. I need you to care for them when things get hard. I need you to feed my sheep. He's calling Peter to move from a hired hand to being a shepherd. And I think the movement from hired hand to shepherd is all about calling. See, there's a lot of things that we could do in this life things that could earn us money, things that could um, get us out of bed in the morning and, and, and allow us to live an otherwise fairly happy life. But, but when we start living into our calling, whether that's through our vocation or through other means, those are the things that address those core principles, those, those core identity, the, the stuff that you go, man, this is why I was put on this earth. That's when you move from being a hired hand to a shepherd. And it can look so many different ways. But The question I think we leave ourselves with today, the question that that John's gospel leaves us with is how has God called you specifically, you specifically, how has God called you to bring heaven down to earth? That might sound really grand, but it doesn't have to be. It can be really simple. How has God called you to bring heaven to earth? Because the way you bring heaven to earth for others is likely going to be sharing in that abundance that you've already experienced. Whatever salvation looks like for you in your life, that's likely what God's calling you into, then say, go, there's other sheep. Go get them and lead them in. You say, I don't know if I'm a shepherd. That's fine. Be a sheep. They'll follow you took us, right? It's gonna be okay. The work that we are called into, that's heaven-to-earth work, I think, is three things. Number one is it's personal. Like I said, it's born out of our personal experience. You are you and, and you're not anybody else, and that's a really good thing. There's likely things that you've experienced in this life that I haven't, and so your calling is going to look different than mine, because that creates passion, that, that creates tension, that, that creates a yearning to see things be different. On that note, it's not just personal, but it's also prophetic. The calling that God places upon our life is going to be prophetic. By that, I mean it acknowledges what is, but imagines what could be better, Right? It acknowledges what is, but it imagines what could be better. The calling God puts on your life is not going to be to sit around and go, well, all this stinks. Yep, great. How could it be better? Prophetic people are people that live into their calling who say, the world isn't the way it should be. People's lives could be improved. We have come to have life and to have it abundantly. And until that's happening, I'm going to keep working, which brings us to number three. It's personal. It's prophetic. It's also persistent. This is the thing that I don't like. I like big, flashy, showy means of grace. I like to to preach a really good sermon for 20 minutes, then go home and do nothing else for the rest of my week. Wouldn't that be nice? Personal, prophetic, and also persistent. When Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Yeah, the good shepherd sticks around when the wolves come, and it gets really dramatic and flashy and scary, but the good shepherd is also there morning, noon, and night to make sure the sheep are cared for on the really boring Tuesday. When it's nothing but matted, matted wool and, and, and sheep droppings. That's when the good shepherd is also there. It's personal, it's prophetic, and it's also persistent. It's the day in, day out, even mundane levels of calling that I think God is really looking for us to be faithful in. So maybe you don't think your calling is all that special, but I promise it matters to somebody. So maybe you already are living into your calling and today is simply that encouragement to keep going or maybe you haven't given that too much thought, quite frankly. And so maybe the work for you this week is simply sitting. Call it prayer, call it meditation, call it reflection, call it what you will, but maybe it's sitting and wondering, God, how can I help bring heaven to earth for others so that not only could I experience abundant life but that they could as well. And if that takes you to big majestic mountaintops, or it takes you to feed sheep, To God be the glory. Amen.